media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. The last few weeks we've been looking and going through the, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, let me kind of quickly summarize. I know that some of you have been here all three weeks. Some of you, this may be in the first time that you're sitting down. And so let me just kind of catch us up uh, in case you may have not have been here during those weeks. Uh, Nehemiah is an exiled in a Persian province and he serves as a cupbearer to the king. The Jewish people have been exiled and scattered and slowly through Ezra and through others, God is starting to call them back to Jerusalem. And he's going to do a great work in the lives of the Jewish people. And he begins to use Nehemiah. Uh, God has uh, called these exiles back to their homeland. Some of Nehemiah's family has been there. And so they come to visit Nehemiah and, and they give a report. He says, well, how are things back home? And they give a report, but it's not a good report. It, it truly is. The walls around the city have fallen. They've been destroyed. Uh, they, they speak of, of just how it's a ruins. Nehemiah, Jerusalem is nothing like the grandeur that you remember or that you've heard of. And so that's kind of the perspective. What does Nehemiah do? Well, the Bible says that he was kind of overwhelmed with his sorrow. And I truly believe that it was a godly sorrow and not a nationalistic sorrow. I don't think it was just, hey, this is my homeland. This is who I would go to the Olympics for. This is who I would represent. You know, certainly we have a nationalistic pride. But I really believe this was a godly, godly sorrow. And that it hurt his heart because he knew that God had called the nation of Israel to so much more. And that it was because of their own sin that they had been scattered, their own sin that they had kind of caused this to happen. And so he's in sorrow since then he begins to pray and he begins to fast and pray. And we don't know exactly how long he was praying. I, I believe that it was the whole three or four months between the, the time that uh, Nehemiah hears this and the time that the king comes. And we began to talk about last week that Nehemiah came and, and when the opportunity, he had been praying and praying and praying, and then all of a sudden the opportunity came, not because he said, today's the day I'm going to go to the king and ask for these things. No, he's just doing his job, but he's sad. The sorrow overwhelms him. And in that sorrow, the king notices that. He says, Nehemiah, I don't think you're sick. Why are you so troubled? Why are you so sad? And in that moment, it says that, that Nehemiah, you know, he, he realizes the urgency of the moment. The king says, what can I do for you? As he explains that the walls are down and, and, and his homeland, and he begins to explain the, the, the plate that's before him. And it says that he prayed. So kind of an, an on-the-spot prayer, but he had been praying about it, so his heart is already tenderized by both the purposes of God and the call of God and the, the will of God. He asked the king for three things. Time off. Hey, can I go back to my homeland and, and help in this area? He asked for safe passage. Hey, can you grant me some letters so that as I go through you know, the Badlands, I go through other provinces that, that they'll know that I'm on a mission from you, that you've endorsed this. And he said, would you give me the wood and the materials that I need to start to rebuild these walls? A really bold prayer, a respectful prayer, but a very bold prayer. And I think that that came because of this time of praying. And so, so far we've been looking at that when God hears desperate prayers, and he does, 
But the desperate prayers in those moments of urgency, in those moments when it seems like opportunity has just opened itself, that a pattern of prayer that just us in our time with God prepares our heart and our mind so that when that time comes, we will have wise answers and, and as Nehemiah, a bold answer. As we pick up back with chapter 2, Nehemiah makes his way to Jerusalem. And I want you to notice two important details that he goes back. Look at verse 9, and I want you to see if you notice anything different about this verse uh, over what we just talked about, okay? He asked for three things. And and look at verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave to them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Do you you notice anything there that's a little bit different? He had asked for what? Time off, safe passage, letters, and and some lumber, the timber. And what did the king send? Uh, Obviously the king's letters and But look at the last part of that. Now, the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Do you remember Nehemiah asking for that? What we find here is that the king sends something, officers in the army of the horsemen. And now look what happens in verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. When they get there, these two people that they talk about are both governors. I know it says Tobiah the Ammonite servant, but that word servant is really, he it's a, a slave. And what he's a slave to is the, the things of the world. And, and it's not talking about that he's just a, a servant, like low position. These are actually two ruling governors in neighboring areas around Jerusalem. And, and all of a sudden, Nehemiah comes in and they probably get wind that that they're going to try to rebuild the walls. And these two opposing air, uh, governors from the area said, this isn't good. Why would that not be good? Because all of a sudden they know the former strength of Jerusalem. They, they want to, to, to be the one that overshadows Jerusalem, not Jerusalem to come back to their former mind. They're against this. Do you think that perhaps the representation of some army officers from the king, and some uh, horsemen, and some signage, not just a piece of paper that says, okay, I've endorsed you know, Nehemiah to go do this. Do you think that that kind of helped the situation a little bit? When all of a sudden Nehemiah goes, okay, man, am, am I really supposed to be doing this? Nehemiah hasn't even started, and already there's opposition. These two guys, these governors from regions around Jerusalem, they... They do not want Jerusalem, and especially the walls, to be rebuilt and for Jerusalem once again to rise in power. And it's here that we find one of the first important principles of this text today to God's call upon our life. I would pray that every one of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ would know of the call that Christ has placed upon our lives. Some of that is a very general call. That is to become more and more like him every day. That's just a general call. We saw a couple weeks ago that every one of us are to go and make disciples. General call. And yet he's going to call each one of us, I truly believe with all my heart, to specific things in life. Sometimes that's to be this godly mother or husband. It's to be this uh, father or, or this wife or whatever it might be that God is going to call us to specific things that 
is beyond the general. And then he places upon your heart or my heart, go take this job, go to this area and become a missionary, go do this thing. I really believe that we have a God that as he calls us out and he saves us by his grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that, that he's already prepared for us things to do that, that reflect Christ's likeness. That we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. We, we see all this recorded in the Bible. And what we begin to find out that we're pretty excited about God's call. I mean, do you think that Nehemiah was somewhat excited about the potential to see, even though he was so sorrowful that the walls had come down? Do you think that there was maybe a little bit of excitement that, God, you've called me and, and, and I can be useful in, in your care to, to help rebuild the walls? And maybe we can start to see some semblance of the people, the Jewish people that had been scattered abroad to come back. That's pretty exciting, guys. And to know that he was an intimate part of that, not because he was worthy, but because God's called on his life. But what happens? God calls. And God's call, guys, often will result in spiritual warfare. How many of y'all would agree with that principle? And when God's call, and the more intimate the call, it seems like the greater the, the, all of a sudden the warfare. Is it because God's weak? And is, is it because God just can't, you know, uh, subdue Satan? Is it because God just only has most of the plan, but not all of it? No. But somehow he's allowed, just as we uh, read from Job this morning, somehow, you know, he's allowed that. He allowed Satan to come and, and to test and torment Job. To destroy Job, well, that was certainly Satan's intention. And yet what we see is God building up in Job something that Job never could have had on his own. One reason why I believe that we really do kind of stay arm's length away from God's call in our life, maybe not the general call, maybe not just this general, okay, try to be as Christ-like as we can and reflect Christ-likeness like in Romans 8, 29. One of the reasons I think that we kind of don't want to get really super personal is because we are afraid of seeing this principle kind of come into our lives. Okay, if I really get serious with God, I'm probably opening the door to spiritual warfare. Do you think that maybe that could be in the back of our mind a little bit? Because I really do believe that that's a principle that we see oftentimes. I'm not saying that happens every time, but I think it's a principle that we can see in the Word of God. We're not surprised by God's supply. Did God supply for Nehemiah? Time off, letters to get him safely, and even timber to start rebuilding the walls. In fact, if we look at God's supply, was it exceedingly abundantly more than what Nehemiah had requested? Hey, I'm going to send you some horsemen and some soldiers, and that way when you come into any kind of conflict with with people, they're going to know, well, he is kind of on the king's Duty. He's kind of doing this with the king's permission. What we're often surprised about is that we're going to face direct opposition. Before Nehemiah gets settled in Jerusalem, the warfare begins. I can imagine this morning that, that people could actually stand. I'm not going to call you for you to this, but I guarantee you there will be people here today that you've walked with Christ and God, you've felt God's call upon your life. And, and as you kind of started living out that call, all of a sudden you could feel the, the spiritual warfare. I, I imagine we would hear 
many testimonies today of, of that actually happening, not just in some biblical character's life, but in our lives. You discern God's call. You see God abundantly supply, but then you experience opposition to that calling. God says, don't be surprised. In a way, I really want God there to say, bring up the next batter. You know, I'm going to give you this ability to just have victory in every sense. There's not going to be any opposition. If there is, you're going to be like this big truck that just runs over anything that would oppose you. And yet we see in the Bible that, that God allows some of this. I don't know why. I mean, I can give you some biblical reasoning. And it's for spiritual development and discipline and, and all those different things. I mean, I, I'm still kind of confounded that he calls Satan the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. I'm going to know, Jesus, you're the ruler of this world. And yet we see this in the word of God, that for some reason, that God in all of his sovereignty and all of his majesty has still allowed, at least right now, for a spiritual warfare to go on in our lives. I don't like that. But is God always right? Is he always wise? Is he always good? Is he always working for his own glory? And so somewhere that fits in there. And it may be a mystery to you and a mystery to me when it comes down to not a biblical character, but to our own lives. Guy walks off and says, I decided I don't want the bricks. Peter says in the New Testament, he was speaking to leaders, and so we always want to read verses in context. And so he's speaking to Christians, but he's speaking to Christian leaders and his first letter that he writes, and he says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about sufferings. First Peter 4.12. Beloved. What an interesting word choice. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about Christians. And he's talking to them in very loving ways. Beloved. But then listen to what he says. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Not just trial, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We can't say, well, you know, I just happen to be the 1%. (laughs) No, he said, actually, this is probably going to... I mean, he doesn't use those terms, but when he says don't be surprised if something like something strange is happening to you, I'm reading there, hey, this happens at least 50% of the time, and maybe it's more than that. I mean, he doesn't put a number to it, but it's not like it's going to happen one out of a 100, and that we're the test case, how much suffering can you take? Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes to you. Beloved, and then look what he says in chapter 5, verse 8 9. He kind of continues the thought. And when we get to the end of it, look what he says. He actually gives us this kind of this uh, uh, a way to go, a way to trust. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Does the devour have the context in your mind, the connotation in your mind, uh, that it leaves just a mass of bones afterwards? Or just kind of takes a little nip? Many of y'all know our little dog. Fierce bark couldn't hurt you if she wanted to. 
I don't think she's going to devour you. Okay, I don't think that's a, a word that we could use with our little dog. But here he uses this word. He said, look, you have an adversary, the devil, and he prowls around like a roaring lion. A lot of times I think we misunderstand this verse that we think, okay, that means that Satan's around the corner. And then just when you don't expect it, he's come to No, he's a roaring lion. He's standing there on the mountaintop, goes, come here. I'm king of the jungle. Doesn't say a lion laying in the you know in the the grass waiting to to sneak up on that antelope like on National Geographic. He, he's on the top. He's more like Lion King up there on the cliff. I'm the king. Why is he calling them that? Is he what he said before? Don't don't be surprised. But look at the instruction in verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That last part. Does that help you? Because there's a part of that that, you know, man, that's encouraging. I'm not just the 1% that God has decided. No, that there's a lot of suffering going on. But in another way, from the very human perspective, not from the spiritual perspective, have you ever had somebody try to one-up on you on all your troubles and all your... Oh, you lost a leg. I lost a leg and an arm. And this eye is not too great either. And so sometimes, you know, this comparison, knowing that other people are suffering, doesn't really solve the problem. But that's not the intention here. It's not this comparison. What, what's happening here, he said, I want you to know that this is not uncommon. Do not be surprised that as you hear God's call for your life, that you will face the adversary. Christian husbands, you hear God's call, and it's a high call. Love your wife like Christ would love the church. What a high call. Will there be opposition? Will there be uh, somebody who wants to come against that? Will you find this adversary when you try to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Yeah. You can be surprised by it because it only happens like a little bit. Or do you get that Peter's saying this is more the norm than it is abnormal? That part of the Christian life and this high call to do something to... Okay, let's say that God puts on your heart, I want you to homeschool. So all the kids go, oh man, that's going to be great. And at 7 o'clock in the morning, okay mom, we're ready, dad, we're ready. Said no homeschooler ever. And yet you feel the call and you really do feel and believe that this is the call. Will there be opposition? Yeah, and you'll know their name. <laughs> it's Junior and Sally and <laughs> Billy right there. <laughs> You're flesh and blood. Don't be surprised. This is the norm. Now, what does this have to do with Nehemiah? He comes in. He's excited because God has supplied time off, letters for safe passage, 
timber so they can start rebuilding the walls. And he's even over exceedingly abundantly going, okay, and I'm going to send kind of some soldiers and they're going to be wearing the kingdom's regalia so that when the opposition comes, they're going to at least know that you're representing the king. You have his, uh, you know, authority to, to do this on, which is really under the authority of God. We know whose authority it is. And yet there's still opposition. God's call can be the most exciting and the scariest thing in the world simultaneously. Because both of these things are happening simultaneously. God gave supply, and yet at the same time, there's these other governors going, man, we're not happy about this at all. And you can tell that they're going to be coming against Nehemiah and the efforts that Nehemiah and the people are going to do. And so they're happening at the same time. Great blessing, but great challenge. And isn't it amazing that God's call of our life that those can coexist at the same time. That a part of what God is doing is giving us life. He is life-giving in these visions and this call. And yet at the same time, it seems life-threatening. And I can imagine that Nehemiah is feeling both of those. Now look what happens, verse 11 and 12. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. doesn't say what he's doing, but we don't know if he's resting. We don't know if he's praying during this time. But then... Verse 12, then I rose at night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one that I rode. In other words, he goes out and he's basically on, on the back of a donkey, a mule, and he goes around. And, and what does he begin to do? Look at verse 13. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, to the dung gate. And I expected, inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. That, that word inspected means uh, the closest that we would do uh, or that we can kind of get is a doctor looking for a source if there was a wound. And they're looking for the source of element in that wound. And so you're exploratory. That's what he's doing. He's making assessment of the trouble and what it's going to take to correct this. That's that Hebrew word there. So he goes out, verse 14, Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. In other words, the rocks there probably were down in such disarray that he couldn't even get the donkey through. Okay? Verse 15, Then I went up by the night to the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered the valley gates and so returned. Now, I don't expect you all to be great experts on... Uh, the, the layout of Jerusalem. But basically what he's doing, he's going around the wall that he's going, that God has called him to help rebuild and lead the people to rebuild. And, and he's taking notes. He's making a plan. I've asked this before, but it's very relevant this morning. Nehemiah is not just weighing it. Ah, God will supply. He's not over-spiritualizing it. I believe that if he measured 12 feet and three and a half inches, that he wrote down 12 feet, three and a half inches. The, the word inspection means this careful inspection. doesn't mean, ah, these walls are down, and well, those walls are down. We're, we're going to need a lot of rocks. That's not what he's doing. He's giving in, He's being very particular here. I've asked this question before. It's not because it's the only question that I have but it's relevant to our thing. How many of you are planners by nature and how many of you are wingers? You know, you wing it. 
How many of you are planners? Raise your hand. How many of you are wingers? Hey, we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. And, and so there's kind of half and half there. And, and Nehemiah is a planner here. I want you to know. I want you to know, guys. Probably because all, all the planners just looked over to the husband or the wives and said, I told you planning was best. You know, that's not what the scripture is saying. <laughs> Nehemiah is a, is a planner. I, I promise you, planning, planners and wingers, you know, there's blessing and caution in both. I promise you. But before all the planners collect their trophies this morning and say, man, look, this is what Nehemiah did. This is what God has called us to do. What had he done now for weeks and months? Prayed. Was the previous question a little bit easier than this one? One was, planners are wingers. I am. I'm a planner. Or you can even say, I'm a winger. And then also we change a little bit and we, we notice that, that Nehemiah has this foundation of prayer that has gone on for months. I mean, it's three or four months, probably before, uh, if we put the calendar together that's mentioned back there in the, the previous uh, chapter, before the king came and asked him, why are you so sad? It's been about three or four months. And I believe that Nehemiah has been praying, not just that first week, but he's been praying. So that when that time came, an opportunity came up that was not on his calendar, oh, the king's going to ask me today, what do you want? That there was fruit from those prayers. His mind, his heart was prepared. And now this comes up. Planners love the organization over wingers. Wingers love the freedom of not being locked in. I'm spontaneous. I go with the wind. And the Bible doesn't really say that there's one favorable over the other. That's not the statement. Uh, the statement really comes down to this planning that he does is the fruit of prayer. Instead of taking our trophy and going, okay, I'm a planner. <laughs> I think that's the biblical answer. When we pose this question, are you a planner or a prayer? I don't know about you, but it gets a little bit more convicting to me. Because one of the things that if I'm a planner, and by the nature of planning, I mean, my girls have actually asked before, hey, on this next vacation, can we just sit on the beach? Because they know that I'm going to have an agenda for every day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, guys, history has happened here. Do you know that this happened in 1842? I don't care, Dad. I see a beach. I see a lounge chair. I see comfort. I can live my life without this additional historical information. But when it comes down and all of a sudden the question is, are you a planner or a prayer? A lot of us, a lot of us that are planners by nature, we just kind of like plans. This gets pretty convicting because sometimes we trust our ability to plan more than being still and silent and listening for God. Isn't that a temptation if you have a planning heart? God, go help all the wingers today because I'm a planner and I got this. 
And those wingers, they need you. He's prayed. He's planned. Now look what happens. Look what happens with this prayerful foundation to his planning. Verse 16 and 17. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, and the rest of them who were to do the work. (laughs) Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? How the Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? Now look at this. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. They can't make fun of us. Let's, let's build back what God has given to us. Now look how it continues in verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, here's the dilemma, and this is what God called me to, and I've been praying, and I've been fasting, and now I've made some plans, and I've got, maybe he wrote out some blueprints. I don't know. But all of a sudden, there was this plan, and what did the people say that have to do the work? Let us rise up and build. Are you encouraged by people that you think have spent time with God and say, hey, I feel a call to go this way? Wives, are you encouraged if your husband says, I've been praying about this for a couple weeks now and I really want us to to pray together, but I I feel like we need to to go and do this. Would that encourage your heart, ladies? Do you think young men and young women, as they looked at moms and dads, and moms and dads have prayed and prayed, and, they, and they've set this foundation of prayer, and so, okay, this is what we're going to do, and the kids said, it's not going to be just all blessing, there's, there's probably going to be some opposition here, but this is what we feel. Just, do you think that encourages a young man and a young daughter there? As Nehemiah <coughs> spoke of God's call and his blessing and how God had abundantly answered his prayers. He gave me time off and and, and he gave me safe passage in these letters and and he gave me all this. Guys, we don't have to worry about going down and getting lumber. We already have that. Free. And in overabundance, he even gave us the guard and some horsemen. (coughs) Now let's tie these two principles together. When we hear God's call and we respond, is there a possibility, maybe even a strong possibility, that we will face opposition, spiritual warfare? That's one principle we've seen. Another principle we see that planning with a prayerful foundation, that it builds confidence. God, God gives us ability to know, oh, this is 12 inches or 12 feet, three and a half inches. And that, that somehow God is, encourages our heart. The people say, let us rise up and build. And it encourages not only us, but it encourages others. Let's tie these two together now. The people are ready to work and build. Opposition is just around the corner, expected. Verse 19. But when Sembalat the, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem, now there's a third opposer, Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? 
Are you rebelling against the king? Relevant question? Yes. Has God already supplied the answer? Yeah, see those horsemen over there? I didn't think to ask for the horsemen and the soldiers that are carrying the flag representing this Persian king. But don't come at me thinking, okay, what does the king say about that right there is your testimony. Do you see those things that God already has answer for those kind of accusations that could come, those kind of things that would bring discouragement? Oh, Bobby, I just think you're tying some things together. I just think, guys, when are we going to... When are we going to stop calling God a God of coincidence and call him a God of providence? Showed up yesterday. I was doing the, the funeral yesterday with another pastor. And we began to compare notes because one of the things you don't want to do is, oh, I was using that verse. <laughs> and so you decide to use another verse. And yet, I said, well, I'm going along this. God gave me this word, steadfastness. And the other pastor said, he gave me a word, and it wasn't steadfastness, but it was the same word. It was a synonym for that. And instead of saying, well, what a coincidence. I said, isn't that a delight, God? That we haven't even spoken about this situation. And yet God gave us really the same thought to describe this man that we were about to preach his funeral. He's not a God of coincidence. He's a God of providence. The accusation, you're rebelling against the king. No, I, I don't think so because I have letters here. Actually, he gave me all this lumber. And if you're not convinced by that, see those soldiers? He sent those. Didn't even ask for those. Verse 20. Then I replied to him, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we as servants will arise and build. You have no portion or right to claim, or right of claim in Jerusalem. Is that pretty black and white? Is that pretty clear what he tells the opposition? As people of God that hear God, knowing that we're going to face opposition, do you think that we have the clarity to be able to proclaim great things for God? Not on our own basis, but to have clarity. That when opposition comes and all of a sudden there could be confusion in our mind, oh, maybe God didn't call me to do this. Look, there's a lot of people that this is a little bit more complicated than I thought. That God gives clarity to the people that he calls. Be, think through this. Do you think that clarity comes from praying or from planning? Or possibly both? that plans out of prayerful foundation. I don't know about you, but the way I think and why I like plans, because it brings clarity. This is what we're going to do at 842. We're going to go see this monument. And you're going to enjoy it. God has already told me you will enjoy seeing this monument. Plans give me clarity, but if it's plans that are that are godly plans, that, that are the fruit of prayerful Sorrow and conviction and, and need. Oh my goodness. Clarity. So what happens when opposition comes? Hey, wasn't expecting that, but God, you're prepared because you called, 
and you've already given me some semblance in my mind. Does that make sense? Godly vision comes from a heart of prayer, and from that godly vision, he calls us to prayerful planning. I got two of them, three of the elders right here, and I was going to get one of you to read chapter 3 for me. Look at your Bible's Nehemiah chapter 3. And which one of our three present elders want to take a stab at reading through Nehemiah 3? That's what I thought. Because look at Nehemiah 3. How many of y'all get freaked out when you see biblical names? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Andy feels the call of God to suggest Brian. Man, go for it, big guy. Chew on those words. We're not going to read through. But will you open your Bibles or your phones or whatever? Will you look at verse 3? I mean, uh, chapter 3? The whole chapter, guys, the whole chapter is nothing. Okay, this family is going to be right over here, and he's got two sons, and they're going to be helping do this part of the gate, and this other family, they're going to be over here, and they're going to be at this part of the gate. Do you see the whole chapter is nothing but these plans with names assigned? Does Nehemiah have a plan? Does that build confidence, you think, in these people? Man, this is my section of the wall right here. Come on, son. And we're going to see how important that is because do you think that there's going to be opposition to this plan? Wait to chapter 4. These three guys, they don't go away. Praying, planning, praying, building, praying, planning. Do you see the importance of, of before building to be a prayerful people, to be a planning people? But do you see the points of, of godly planning and, and how that he, he takes us in all of our frailty? And, and you know, it's not just tracing up because you're a planner too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we have comfort in planning. But oh my goodness, Tracy. Prayerful planning, then all of a sudden that encourages not only us, but others can begin to see that and they begin to see God's call. Let's end with this. Here's a truth for life for you to apply to your life, my life this week. Proverbs 19.21, and we'll close on this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Would you agree with that? How many of you have the Rolodex going about two o'clock in the morning sometimes? You're laying in bed and the Rolodex, uh, the, the Rolodex of, of just all these plans. I gotta do this, boom, 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 boom. And it's just kind of. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see the beauty? Now this isn't Proverbs, this is a wise and this is wisdom. Is that godly truth? Can you plan yourself? Can you devise a plan and work God right out of this situation? Now, many are the plans of man, but it's the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Don't ever apologize for being a planner, but know the temptation of planning 
without prayer. You'll trust more in the plan than the one who would give you the plan. And for all the wingers, don't despise the planners. Know that God uses them, but encourage them. So that Q, you could go, Mom, have you prayed about that plan? But do it respectfully, okay? (laughs) Do you see how it all fits together? So far in Nehemiah. And all of this points back to one thing, guys. All of it points back to one thing. The goodness and the greatness of God. God is more concerned about his glory than you're concerned about his glory. But he will use you and your call, his call upon your life for his glory. Is this not a gracious God? That he would use a man like Nehemiah. So I'm going to call you to go do this. I'm going to give you the wisdom and the ability to make the plan. And we'll see how it turns out in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, you love planners and you love wingers. You love that spirit of freedom that goes, hey, I'm just, I'm going and we'll deal with it when we get there. In a way, Father, there's there's an amount of trust in that. Father, thank you that you've called some of us to be planners and Father, that, that, that we kind of operate in our mind and our heart and that gives us comfort. But Father, never give us comfort in our plans that are separated from, from prayerful foundation. For Father, with the call that you place upon our life and something as broad as go and make disciples or something as specific, Bobby Linkus, Mary Carly Hendricks, And start a life in a family that will be based in the beauty of the gospel. Father, from these calls, let us expect opposition. I don't know why, Father. It's not that you're not strong enough to keep opposition away. But somehow, Father, in your wisdom, for your glory, and the same thing that we read about Job, you've allowed it. And so, Father, even in those darkest of times... Though you slay me, we will worship you for you are a God worthy of our worship. Whether it is a sunshiny day or rain filled with seemingly catastrophe. Father, thank you for your calling upon our lives. Father, discipline us, correct us from this word today. But Father, I pray that you would encourage us. Father, more and more and more, we would be able to say, we are a people of prayer. We love you, and we thank you for your patience with us. Father, we ask all these things in the beautiful name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.